0: Hello. My name is Patricia Rozvora and you're listening to Kitchen Conversations. This podcast aims to open up the mysterious and vague Eastern Bloc to a broader international audience. For each episode, I'm inviting one artist or researcher and together we explore their relation, interest and urgency to create within the framework of the post-Soviet sphere. For the first episode of this brand new year, I invited Marina Sulima, a Moldovan artist currently based in Groningen, the Netherlands. In her work, Sulima likes to create absurd worlds with their own logic. Bizarre Categories, and Uncanny Physics. In fall 2020, Marina graduated with Minerva Prize for Design from the Minerva Academy in Groningen. Uh, her graduation film, Parcelpedia, that is a short fictional film, responds to Italy syndrome, a sociomedical medical term used to describe a type of depression experienced by Eastern European women who work as caregivers in Italy. During our kitchen conversations, Marina reflects on her work, Parcelpedia, and the way it relates to her own upbringing as a child of a migrant family. Please welcome Marina Sulima. <laughs> welcome Marina to Kitchen Conversation. Uh, thanks for hosting me in this nice house. It's very interesting. So it's like a hospital, right? It was a hospital <laughs> before?
1: Yeah, indeed. Um, it was a Roman Catholic uh, hospital in the 70s and then it became a, a squatting place. Well, before that, the government of Röningen wanted to demolish this building and um, the people around the neighborhood didn't want that so they just broke in one day and... Um, And they occupied the place and it was a squatting building for um, quite some time until it became a community. So in a way we own this house now, Um, we contribute to its maintenance and we pay rent to that
0: maintenance. Ah, super nice. So I met actually your friend Olivia in my exhibition, I think it was exactly one month ago <laughs> yes. when I was coming here, I was thinking about it. And um, she told me about uh, your work, uh, your graduation work, uh, Parcelpedia. That's right. And uh, yeah, I'm super excited to to hear what you have to say about it. I watched it, I think, four times. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> uh, it's very, very special work, I think. It's very uh, enjoyable in a lot of different levels. So I think each uh, viewing was like f- on a different level. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so I think uh, without further ado, uh, I would like to start. Um, yeah, maybe if you could kind of introduce a bit uh, yourself and uh, how you came to also create this project.
1: Uh, yes, thanks, Patricia. Um, that's how you pronounce your name, right? <laughs> um, yeah, Olivia is a bit of my partner in crime in what consists working... Um, but also indeed spreading the word about each other's work a bit. Mm. And uh, throughout my time at Minerva, which started in 2016, this is the time I came from Moldova, Olivia and I met and worked on a lot of projects together and inevitably a lot of our work somehow coincides or our interests coincide a lot. Uh, For our graduation at time, we decided to make an autonomous work, and I think that ended up really nicely. Um, yes, my project, my graduation project is called Parcelpedia. Um, I'm not sure if I came to this project from an Eastern European, cont- or I didn't come here from an interest in Eastern European studies or area or anything like that. It's just something I knew, and I knew closely, I knew emotionally. My parents um, emigrated to Italy when I was 10, and for more than seven or eight years I received these care packages almost every week. So that's a bit how I knew migration as a kid. I didn't know it in statistics, numbers, um, news pieces. I knew it as the sound of this tape that was uncovering a, a care package, and I knew it through the pasta and through the socks and through the objects in this um, parcel. So it um, it came to me a bit when I read this article about Italy syndrome right before my graduation project. It was an article on Al Jazeera, which I think is quite a quite a special news broadcast because it covers a bit more than the Eurocentric space and America the America that we know, because there's a larger place than America mm. <laughs> that we know. Um, so I was quite surprised that I could find anything about Moldova and the Eastern Bloc there, and that it was so connected to me, to what I know. And I, yeah, I, I cried a bit and it was really emotional for me because even though my my mom... Um, my mom was a caregiver in Italy, and she didn't present any signs of depression throughout the time that she worked there. It hit me that hey, that would have that could have been her that she would have been she could have been one of those women who came home with signs of depression, isolation, suicidal attempts, and so on and so on. Um, so <laughs> since that moment. Yeah, it almost became, oh, I could do so much with this. It's an. It's such an actual theme. I know it in my skin, how it works, and uh, I think I can do it well.
0: <laughs> so this, uh, you read about it, and it's actually uh, a thing, right? So it's, uh, I wrote it down here, sociomedical phenomenon. Uh, so it's not fully medical, it's more like connected to also, yeah social behavior in a way which has a, yeah, then a result in mental health problems, usually um, resulting in depression. Uh, And it's uh, acquired by Eastern European women uh, working as caregivers in Italy, just to give a little bit of uh, context. Before... uh, (laughs) We started recording. Uh, you you told me that you actually never lived in Italy, but your parents moved there and they still live there. But you kind of you have Italy only as this place where you also travel just to visit your your family. So that's also interesting that mm. it kind of now appeared in your work, but you you never had it as a place where you lived, right?
1: Yeah, indeed it is. It stays as a syndrome, as a symptom of migration for me. Um, as well. But yeah, indeed, the, the bringing of the context was quite important in this whole discussion. So my graduation project is coming from all different places, but it surrounds the, this social medical uh, term coined Italy syndrome, which is a kind of depression that is specific to Eastern European women, indeed, who work as caregivers in Italy. So it's, it's a very specific. But it's a, quite a large phenomenon um, since migration in, in these three countries, Romania, Moldova and um, Ukraine, is, is quite a large phenomenon. Um,
0: Could you tell a little uh, more about it, um, uh, contextualize a little bit the history of it? Like uh, When did this migration start uh, and how does it look today?
1: Yeah, of course. Uh, To my extent, or from the statistics that are available um, in Moldova and Romania, at least a third of the country um, has emigrated since the 2000s. Um, Causes are many, and I think that's that's really hard to put it blankly, but it's an economic collapse after the Soviet Union clash. It's social issues, it's corruption, Um, it's the clashing of industries where people worked Um, it's everything at once a bit but it is mainly an economic migration which is just seeking better means of an economic um, or of a job (laughs) Mm. Um, yeah it's very hard at least in the case of Moldova to specify how many people emigrated and when because most of this migration is clandestine um, which is the case for my mom as well so thinking about this project it was it wasn't the idea of it but it became a bit of a of a traumatic or bringing traumas to me as well because i remember the stories from my mom where she traveled illegally to italy she traveled in a small van with a lot of people and at some point they had to hide in the back of the van where they didn't have any air uh, which as a kid, it seemed it seemed such a story to me. Oh, my mom went through that. It's amazing. And, and going and searching that now, um, it, it wakens up quite some other emotions. Um, so yeah, because of this illegal nature of the migration, it's very hard to say where and when and mm-hmm. how many and how much. And just number-wise, it's a very difficult phenomenon to write down. So that's why I chose to make a, a metaphor for this. Uh, to look at the visible symptoms of this migrations uh, of this migration and and how it happens and how it's felt.
0: <laughs> Before we uh, we go into the details of uh, how you visually um, show that, uh, I wanted to ask about um, so the most of the uh, people who suffer from this Italy syndrome are women. Right.
1: Indeed, because it's predominantly women who work as caregivers in Italy. Um, the reasons for that, I don't know, <laughs> but I can imagine that uh, there's a stereotypical image of a woman who is a caregiver who takes care, and and that that has happened here.
0: And the, the care uh, is usually. Uh in in taking care of uh, the elderly right
1: indeed most Eastern European women uh, take care of the elderly in Italy and it happens in their homes so in Italian they call it lavoro uh, alleggio or something like that which means um, work with employees with your um, employers sorry uh, so that means that most of these caregivers live in the people's homes. Uh, They're offered um, a bed, a place to live and food. And you can imagine, or maybe this is not an assumption, but in most cases, because of the illegal nature of the migration, these things are abused a bit. People are not given enough space or enough free hours to go out or enough food at times. Um, So, that's a bit exploring the reasons for this depression.
0: Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, is this Italy syndrome um, showing only after you come back home? That was uh, something I was wondering because then you show this package which comes, let's say, I assume Mm. from Italy to Moldova and then it's kind of being examined and diagnosed. Yeah, yeah,
1: indeed. Yeah, To explore this phenomenon more, the Italy syndrome was only coined in 2005 by uh, an Ukrainian psychologist. Um, so that, that doesn't mean that it hasn't existed before, right? Talking about the reality of, of something. And that's hard to say whether it happens only when people are home or when people are in Italy as well. But because of the lack of research and um, and checkups and legal means to examine these migrants and their work and their well-being, I think it's very hard to say uh, what Italy syndrome it is it is per, per se. And also because this term is, indeed, as you said, is not quite medical, it's not quite social. It's not in any medical books, textbooks yet yet it persists, and there's many cases where people or women come from Italy and their, their emotional state is at the ground, and many have committed suicide. So you, uh, and medical textbook doesn't quite represent the reality of this phenomenon.
0: Yeah, like in many cases, I think, right? <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, and then you decided to, to show this story uh, by the use of a parcel. Why yeah. is that yeah indeed
1: um i'm I'm wondering where that comes from and I wonder if there's one cause for that but if I trace it correctly it comes more from an interest in non-humans and in animation and in an attempts to figure out what ecology and nature versus man is um so that was one starting point, and the other starting point was, as I said, that article about Italy syndrome. And when they connected a bit, it almost became clear to me that I wanted to focus on objects to tell a human centered drama. Um, plus, I knew this from my childhood, as I said, this is very sensorial for me, very skin felt like. Um, and it connected to animation as well, because animation is that that gives an object life. So um, that's a bit why I chose the parcel. And because it moves. It's, it's the migration also of a parcel in Europe, not only of women um, or of migrants. And I think that I find quite interesting, that we are... Uh, connected and tangled with the world and with the objects around us and with the materials. And it connects to the ecology state in Moldova as well, where you can see remains of these parcels all over the landscapes, little tapes, little um, labels from Italian products, um, bottle caps from the jars that are sent from Italy. So it, it expands so much more than... Yeah, the phenomenon of migration expands so much more than just humans,
0: I think. It's, it's interesting because when I was uh, watching uh, the work, I was thinking that usually... Let's say me living here, I was receiving packages rather from Poland to here, you know, like my favorite uh, cookies or, uh, yeah, like stuff, kind of nostalgic food, uh, which you want to like have the taste of home. But here it's the, the Italian product. So let's say to generalize the Western products going to, to the East uh and uh, it's uh, it's also uh funny that you say that you remember this from your childhood that you were getting this pasta and this uh yeah. olives and nuts and yeah it's a, almost like a reversed history isn't it <laughs> yeah definitely and wh- why did uh, actually your parents send it because they they thought this is nice products you should have or what
1: yeah you ask me and it's not just my parents it's this is quite a large phenomenon um Every week, from what I know, thousands of parcels from Italy go to Moldova, and especially around Christmas or some important holiday, there's tens of thousands. Thousands, um, And I know that by simple fact that when I collected a parcel, there's a number written of the parcel, which is just the order, the numerical order of the parcel parcels received in Italy that are about to be sent. And sometimes my parcel was the 1835, the 35th. So you know that there's so many more, there have been so many more just in this bus, just in this town, but parcels are sent all over the country and also in Romania and in Ukraine and maybe other places. So it's a huge uh, infrastructure. In my case, from what I know, of white microbuses that have their backs and uh, sometimes an extended back full of parcels. Um, and the reason for that, I don't know. It's it's just care. It, it transforms sometimes into a jar of olives or something you think your family might find nice.
0: <laughs> I like that you call it care parcel. I yeah. It's like a new, new, uh, um, new term for me. I, I, I wouldn't <laughs> think of it like this. But yeah, indeed. Like if you send something, it's because you care, right? Or like you think about this person and you want them to to receive this intention, this warmth. <laughs> you're kind of sending them.
1: Yeah, indeed. And it, in this case it very much um, resonates with the care that the migrants offer to strangers. In this case. Such so a f- funny mirror, I think.
0: So uh, the first scene is that uh, there's an older man going through fields and waiting then for for the parcel. So then, uh, not knowing what's inside, I kind of had the the idea that uh, this man is kind of waiting for uh, like uh, exactly something coming from maybe daughter or a son living abroad. You know, mm-hmm. really like wanting and like yeah i had this um very warm feeling somehow that this guy is like really the whole week waiting for this package to arrive and then he's going to this bus stop and waiting and then going with this package home but then it kind of (laughs) the narrative really shifts and then it turns out that this man is actually a doctor Who's gonna examine this parcel? So, if you could uh, talk a little about, uh, yeah, this doctor, Doctor Kara.
1: Yeah, indeed, uh, it's Doctor Kara. <laughs> he is the character that sort of made possible the this metaphor about parcels. Um, Who is it? <laughs> um, well, technically, it's my grandfather. He's the actor in this movie. That's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I think he has a very interesting face, but also he's physically active, so he could travel with me around fields. And um, yeah, that was basically the reason for that. But in the movie, indeed, he is someone who examines parcels sent by migrants home. Um, and he is trying to find out um, the emotional state a bit of the migrants who sent these parcels in the parcels. So looking for symptoms and and small things that could uh, resonate with the emotional status of these uh, of these migrants. Um, <laughs> I, I I don't know why I, I chose him to be honest. Maybe my memory. Um, sucks a bit at this moment. It it was just a very logical continuation of the project Um, and I remember that I wanted to make fun a bit of the modes in which we know the world because he uses all these very scientific uh, tools and um, devices and
0: But almost from like a different century, right? They're all a bit um, old and strange. You could see them rather (laughs) in a maybe museum or something, (laughs) like almost like stereotypically Eastern
1: Europe. Indeed, yeah, that's the case, but that was only because I chose anything that was in our garages and in my grandfather's home. Um, But through these very old scientific devices, I wanted to make fun a bit of how how we know the world and how many other modes of knowing there are. Um, so almost to reflect of, okay, that's how we usually think of of a medical um, disease or illness. And this one is so specific and so particular and so new that all these modes of knowledge are not applied anymore, can't be applied anymore.
0: Yeah, because there's like, I think, four... Or five uh, different uh, examinations, right, yeah. and afterwards there is the diagnosis, and that's it, <laughs>
1: yeah indeed, and <laughs> not clear
0: what happens there, so that was and is Kara uh, his name his real name uh, no, that's no. an invented name all right is this like a, does it exist this name does it mean so.
1: something mm, not sure it was it was just associate an association for me to care, I suppose, if I remember right. But I just liked simple names, pronounceable for more most languages, mm-hmm, that fit mm-hmm. somehow in a framework.
0: And what did he? Uh, what did your grandfather think about this idea <laughs> to be the main character, right? Because that's actually the main person we see, except the the person delivering the parcels.
1: Yeah, indeed. I still wonder what my grandfather thinks because he giggled a lot during the project and he really enjoyed it and he has so many stories about um, Eastern Europe and his experience in Eastern Bloc, so it felt a bit like the conditions to this movie, <laughs> for him to be there felt a bit like relating to the conditions of this phenomenon. So, okay, that was before, okay, and now it led to this uh, this state of Moldova, okay, now everyone traveled, right, everything makes sense, thank you, Grandpa. <laughs> no, but uh, he was really sweet about it and really curious. Not sure if he understood what the project will become in the future, but he said he really liked it how it uh, ended up.
0: Yeah, I think um, he was a really great actor. Everyone also,
1: keeps saying that. I,
0: I think so too. Super, like professional. Also, is he like a doctor himself now?
1: No, no, he's not. Um, he worked in many domains. I worked in a sugar factory in his hometown in. Um, in his 20s, he went with the Soviet army to Cuba um, within the conflict, the Soviet Cuban conflict. So he was, most of his stories are in fact about being on a submarine and being under the sea, in the water, not seeing the air for so long. I enjoyed those stories a lot. Um, and he was a farmer as well. In the latest years he had a horse with a carriage and that was his biggest passion, he took it everywhere
0: <laughs> that's, that's a big... amazing, uh, could you tell a little bit uh, where this um, um, story is set so it's in Moldova, but which part, or like, it's a fictional world but like, where do you place it? Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah, I suppose Moldova is a fictional place to a lot of people, I think More than half of people that I speak in the Netherlands um, either nod suspiciously about the name of the country, or um, they simply don't know. And and not sure what I think of that. Of course, Moldova is recognized by by many people as well. And I'm I'm not talking about the Netherlands in this case, just but just about the about Moldova and this young country who nobody knows. So in that sense, it's already quite fictional. The town that you see in the movie is a real one. It, it's not a set. It's called the Tsura," which translates as "a little, because it's a very small town. There are, I think, less than 250 inhabitants. Uh, a lot of them are still migrating seasonally, so at some point in the year there is even less than 200. Um, I think the landscape around is quite interesting. It's a forgotten, almost end of the world. Um,
0: yeah, that's
1: that's a bit the setting.
0: Is it where, where you are from? Yes, it's
1: in the same, let's say, province, little province that I was
0: born. All right. And then the, um, very specific questions, but like the setup of this uh, doctor's office, did you like... Create it, design it yourself.
1: I love specific questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't. I didn't create it. I just went to the local. Uh, we call it a poliklinika, a, a local medical center, and I asked whether I can film that during the weekend when it's closed. And I I didn't film the exterior of this building, but it pretty much looks like a home which was transformed into a medical office. So you can see uh, an old chimney that served as a chimney just in a a local house. And so it's a a patchwork of different elements, that medical room. (laughs) And that's a bit the case for most medical centers in rural areas in Moldova.
0: Yeah, I I have to think back to the hands of uh, Dr. Kara, I think it's like very specific hands, like very working hands. You can see, yeah, this person really worked a lot. Also like his face shows like the, yeah, the heaviness of life in a way. I'm not sure if that relates to to your grandfather, but more the character, you know, how, how he was filmed. And that was very strong to me also, like this connection of this like really a person with a kind of heavy package of life uh, doing this examination. Uh, And yeah, the way the the film is made, uh, it combines a lot of different uh, techniques. Uh, So that would be nice to speak a bit about that and how that relates also to to the concept and the idea behind it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you're right about the hands. I, I did think that um, about that when I asked my grandfather to star in my movie. I kept calling him a star as well. Definitely star. <laughs> but indeed, his skin and his face and his hands are almost landscapes. You can see creases and little hills and valleys and lakes, if you want. Um, I think that's mostly what I thought of it. But you're right about the working. Status or class, let's say, of my grandfather. He he worked in the landscape a lot. He always had a farm and um, animals around the house. He was the one bringing watermelons and most of the food at home. Um, and I think he really enjoyed it as well. And he really misses it, I think, at this at this age. Mm-hmm. Um, mixed media in the movie, I think comes from my inability to stay still in in what concerns mediums and um, and objects to play with and uh, techniques to find within an art academy. I liked everything and everyone kept saying that I need to maybe specialize, that I need to find my passion, whatever that means, and my medium. And that seemed to be the key for success and I could just not follow it, I wanted to do a bit of, of everything, um, and it, it suited somehow in this film, it, it suited me that I could do all of these things to make a world possible, a world that is not immediately recognizable, so that worked nicely.
0: So then like the, uh, the, the things you combine is uh, video, animation, drawing, and stop motion? And then how do you, like, I don't know, I'm just throwing some words, but maybe you can tell more about it. <laughs>
1: yeah, probably that, I think that's how it felt as well when making this movie. I'm just going to throw stuff at it. Let's see what it becomes. <laughs> but, um, indeed there, there's a large part of live action film, um, which includes this doctor and it's, and his surroundings, um, then I animated the parcels using stop-motion techniques, um, so I just moved a little box bit by bit for hours to create the, um, the illusion that it moves, that it breathes or that it collapses. Um, another part of the movie is a sort of ultrasonography of this parcel, um, which presents the history of, of this parcel, how it was sent and by whom. And that is made with charcoal um, animation in the style of uh, William Kentridge.
0: Ah, yeah, now I uh, connected dots, that's true. Yeah, so it's
1: that's... It's your
0: inspiration?
1: It, it's one of my inspirations. I saw it in the I Museum last Amazing, year. Amazing, right? It, yeah, it really touched me. And it was so simple and so um, so connected also, I think, to many, to many themes. Um, this labor, this intensive labor that you can see in the movie, <laughs> but that's indeed that's another part of the of the story. This ultrasonography, where you can see, in the framework of a medical analysis, um, how a migrant set, um, how a migrant assembles a, a care package, and a bit of the surreality of being. Um, a caregiver in Italy, and the relationship between this migrant and its employ- his or her, in this case, her employer. Sorry. <laughs> um, and another part of the movie are these pages drawn by me from a fictional encyclopedia of parcels. So in this world of parcelpedia, packages are studied. They are uh, analyzed, there are books written about it, (laughs) and I really try to make you believe that. So I made these encyclopedic anatomical drawings of parcels. So there's drawing, there's animation, you call it. (laughs) What did I miss? What else can I make?
0: (laughs) Yeah, you even use like charcoal and uh, crayons, right?
1: Yeah, colored pencils. Colored
0: pencils yeah. And then you also made this models, right? So apart from like doing the publication uh, of um, medical uh, of a medical file, you also, uh, yeah, made this kind of uh, real size uh, models.
1: Yeah, indeed. So um, this being my graduation project, I also wrote a thesis. And that came in a form of a medical file written by this Dr. Kara from my movie. So it became stories that he had about parcels, um, his biography a bit, um, medical notes, prescriptions, uh, little cutouts from newspapers that he found. One is with an interview with a parcel where a parcel speaks about its travel. Um, so that's my thesis a bit and the background story coming together in fiction, fiction stories and, and fiction in general. And during the exhibition I had these anatomical models of a parcel made from uh, ceramics. Um, I think I'm not missing anything now. That, that was a bit what I believed could make this world of parcelpedia possible and interesting to people.
0: And uh, so you also, are you also a writer? Do you also write? Or
1: I, I like to write. Um, I, w- I don't know if I w- would call myself writer at this point, but I would really like to become one. And as I told you before, I think my guilty pleasure of, or what I really feel like I want to do, um, is write and illustrate children's books and make animations based on that. <laughs> Um, so that might be one of my future projects for sure.
0: I asked it because uh, I'm curious if you first kind of wrote down the story like a script almost, and then you created the the movie, or like how how did it all? Because it seems like there's a lot of elements which really consumed your time, like the drawings and the models, and yeah, the movie itself and the whole script and also the story behind it. So yeah, I'm curious about like what what's, was what was what came first yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what
1: came first um i think it all came together at the same time a bit i wrote my thesis while making all this stuff and uh the script came hand in hand with sketches and um storyboards of many versions of this movie <laughs> Um, I wanted at some point to only make a drawn animation, or only um, stop motion movie, or only a series of illustrations. So uh, that came hand in hand with with the thesis. But I knew that it will come together within the story of this Dr. Kara, or within the story of a practice in which parcels are studied, where objects are studied, and that tells the human drama. <laughs>
0: Uh, And then there was also like quite a big element was the sound, I think. So like the, yeah, the sound we hear at the beginning, like kind of musical uh, sounds. And then there is like, yeah, the the sound of the parcel from the inside, like very intense uh, noises. And then there's also the sound of the machines or like almost the heartbeat of the parcel. So, uh, yeah. Like if you can tell a bit about that and also if someone helped you with sound, because mm. it seems like the sound production was like a totally separate <laughs> thing.
1: Um yeah, there there were it wasn't a huge team, but I collaborated with um um two people in Moldova, um Andrei Moraru and Konstantin Kwade. They helped me with filming and recording the sound in the field. Um and during the process, I left quite some autonomy to, um, to these people to work around what I directed, uh, so that was quite nice. So there was some help indeed with sound. There was a huge, uh, they call it a dead cat, which looked so professional, overly professional. And back here in the Netherlands, I recorded the... Um, uh, most of the footage of the parcel and the inside of it and therefore the sounds for it. Uh, that I did myself, but the music was um, produced, made by um, a musician called Sanam Tehmasebi. Um, she's an Iranian um, musician spreading from jazz to electronic and their experimental work um, and I, yeah, I think she she
0: nailed it, and really liked what she made. <laughs> and what was the the mood you tried to achieve with the music? Because to me, it really uh, it it put me in a very special mood because the music starts at the beginning, you know, when the when Doctor Kara is walking, and we still don't know where he goes to, and there's this, yeah, very intense music. So yeah, what was what was the idea? But
1: uh, so in this case, I also left. Sanam, um, I I left a lot of freedom and autonomy to create what she feels about the project. And it was quite interesting and important for me to do so. Um, I think if I had the musical skills, I would have made probably a slightly lighter or joyous music around it. And I still tried to push it a little bit to become lighter. But that's what the musician felt with this movie and what... What she thought suits best, and I left it there. I I stayed with it for a while, (laughs) and I uh, I think the movie could have had so many other versions if the music was different. But Mm. it should have ended up one way instead of another.
0: And uh, the the whole uh, movie uh, or like the video work uh, is divided into four or five chapters. I think it's five. Five chapters. <laughs> I should know this thing. I made it. But anyway, there's. Uh, we have these chapters of like different stages of diagnosis, uh, and yeah, it seemed to me very specific how you kind of uh, stage the levels of like the yeah the examination from like the first step to the last. Uh, yeah, I wondered like how you created that. Is this like somehow connected to to the way mental health is like diagnosed or assessed or is this like completely fictional or
1: I think it dwells on both those things um, I do experience that mental issues back at home are not explored enough and there's a large um, dimension or a large dose of shame when it pertains to um, mental issues and um, and that that stays with the patient, I think, but also with the medical staff um, who examines first the phys- physiological um, parts of a human body and then tries to assess the rest. So that's on some level, I think, a comment on that indeed.
0: Yeah, it's interesting how, like actually, in my previous conversation, uh, we were also uh, touching upon this taboo. Uh, in relation to mental health, how um, yeah somehow it is tied to uh, the regions. That's yeah, it's still not a thing you speak about even mm-hmm. now. That like if you if you're struggling, uh, you don't speak about it and uh, you also don't seek help. Uh, like here, it's so normalized. You know, if you have some issues you would like to discuss you just go and uh, seek therapy and it's fine because everyone does it right it's like uh, just to stay healthy and also get to know yourself but uh, yeah back home so to speak it's really yeah from my experience it's like you go to the doctor when you're sick and you you're not like you don't want to say it out loud that you have some issues so you better don't say it you know you keep it in this kind of closet and I think your work also touches quite a lot about uh, on that.
1: Yeah, it, it's it's not a thing, so to say, at home to speak about your mental issues. I, Although there are, of course, also when, while you're growing up, there are psychologists at school that you could go to. And from my experience, almost nobody does that. And of course, as an adult, it's less of a thing. And in this case, indeed, mental issues confront migration, already an experience that uh, needs so much, um, so much talking and um, exploration and and um, emotions that are sp- spoken about. I think um, I I chose for fiction or a speculative world in which this is possible to distance yourself indeed from the conditions that made this possible and from the phenomenon itself uh, to make new associations maybe um, and new identifications and humanize this parcel and humanize the migrants and humanize the migrants everywhere a bit, not only specific to Eastern Europe. Mm.
0: Uh, Yeah, I was also kind of thinking of a different interpretation of the parcel. Um, because, like, uh, yeah, obviously, like, the first time you watch it, you have a different idea, and then the more you watch it, you kind of read it in different ways. But then I, I thought, like, the parcel could be also um, this kind of new identity of someone who moves <laughs> away and then comes back, and then you cannot be, like, the pure um, <laughs> Moldova Vian <laughs> uh anymore and you have all this like italian uh parts of like inside you uh and then you're kind of being examined because like not knowing not you know not knowing about this in italian syndrome italy syndrome uh i kind of thought that this this could be also read in this way in this kind of purification way you know but th- this was more going into this uh tendency f- let's say in poland towards nationalism and, you know, this kind of, uh, yeah, purity of nation. That's like everyone who once leaves Poland is not Polish anymore. And also thinking about myself, like my own identity. Who am I in all this, Mm. you know? Yeah, just to share. I I really
1: like it. Can I make this again and do that instead (laughs) of my project? (laughs) Could that be something? (laughs) No, you're really right. And I, I recognize what you're talking about completely. Experiencing... My parents talking with this Italian vernacular, with, with this Italian dialect all of a sudden where they they introduce Italian world, words for um, very common mundane things and it was, it was so outrageous for me. Why don't you just speak like a human being when I was 11 indeed? I later experiencing that myself, uh, having English almost as a second language. Mm. But you could see that completely at home with um, people who emigrated to Italy or Germany or the US or um, more in the East, Russia, so to speak. Um, And that that polarized our nation as well, nation, (laughs) our peoples. Um, where you could be either with the West or with the East, with the Russians or with the Europe. Very well Mm -hmm. known and and, um, parallel (laughs) back at home and used by politicians and it's very much at the order of the day. And recently, in fact, we had um, presidential elections um, in November this year and that ran through the... um, through the campaign as well, are you either pro-Russian or pro-European, as if that could that's the only ways to lead a, a country like Moldova. Um, and the diaspora, so the people who emigrated from Moldova, were a big part of this election as well, because they turned out to be uh, in massive numbers going to the vote. And they voted uh, largely for the pro- pro-European candidate. In fact, more than 90% of the votes from the diaspora went to um, Maya Sandu, so the candidate that won these elections.
0: Amazing, no? So it's good news.
1: It's it's good news in a way. Indeed. Let's see, though, what happens. Um but there were two tours sort of, of of this election, and it was clear from the f- first one that she would win, this pro-European candidate, and then the, the other candidate blamed Diaspora for, um, for turning in such big numbers because there is somehow a parallel identity of Moldova that they shouldn't vote because they left the country, so as if leaving the country makes you less of a nationality or a f- ethnic group or of a country that you are.
0: Ah, that's very interesting uh, anecdote which really comes back no, to your work, I think.
1: Yeah, indeed. <laughs> did you vote as well? I, d- I did go both times to The Hague um, to vote. And for me, it wasn't even that big of a deal. I liked traveling with trains in the Netherlands and um, that was fine, but... There were so many people in the diaspora, in the Moldovan diaspora, that traveled hundreds of kilometers uh, with their own car, paying all of these themselves, of course, including me, and then uh, somehow dismissed by the current president as being parallel to the country. <laughs> um, so that that's indeed touching what you said about uh, polarizing the nation and... Being impure uh, once
0: you're impure, out of the exactly. country. <laughs> yeah, and then the uh, the last scene, so to speak, the the parcel uh, is being kind of uh, opened up, or like some piece of it is cut out, so the parcel kind of looks out, uh, but then it collapses. So yeah, I. I I thought it would be interesting to speak about, yeah, what is the meaning of this? Like, and then we also hear this kind of heartbeat, and then it's stopping. So it's almost like an end of a life. Mm-hmm. But then, whose life ended? And yeah, what what is happening there? <laughs> um, I
1: tried as much to leave the ending open, but I, indeed, it does seem like the parcel is collapsing. Um, and its diagnosis is uh, shown on the screen, so it's Italy syndrome, Um, and its collapse, its exhaustion, its many symptoms of this phenomenon are shown, and it's just done. Not to say that maybe it can recharge, maybe it can... um, um, it come back to life, maybe you you don't really know in the movie, but I I just wanted to show or to send this emotion of exhaustion of working seven days a week, um, twenty four hours a day in someone's home, and not having a break, and your only break in most of the cases, and in my mom's for quite some time was to make these packages and to send it to the bus. So those two hours that she went to the store to pick up some things and to fill this this box was the only way to sort of breathe out. And then the rest is again work in a stranger's home in a language that you don't quite know. Um, in the case of my mom, but in many other cases, these um, um, people suffer from dementia. So a lot of the conversation goes out of the ordinary. It's a bit surreal and and just painful, I believe. <laughs> um so that's a bit the last scene just breathing out maybe uh giving up um suffering from not uh, not quite recognized mental issue called Italy syndrome
0: and then you said uh, at the beginning that uh, you didn't intend the work to be specifically about eastern Europe or Moldova but then um Uh, yeah seeing it in the context of this podcast it is but it could be so many other things uh how how do you see the audience of this piece like who who do you want this work to reach
1: that's a difficult Uh, question (laughs) it's a difficult question i'm i'm not sure i'm not sure Uh, also how i wasn't sure when i started this project um what exactly do I want to tell? Do I want to, in a cliche way, spread awareness? Awareness about what? This this happens, and huger and more devastating migration phenomenon happen right now. And yet, I know this one. It's small, and it's 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 devastating in its own way. And I know it. And I I know how to explore it and how to show it. So that's that's what I wanted to show, maybe to someone who um, can relate to these things. Because as I said, care packages are not specific to the Eastern uh, European women. Um, in fact, these are um, these are part of remittances. So remittances are all the goods and money that are sent by migrants back home, and that is a thing in many parts of the world: Indonesia, Mexico, yeah, you name it. So it's it's not just this part of the world that uses care packages to send to send goods to send good thoughts to send money home so I, I believe a larger audience can relate to that
0: before uh, uh, in our conversation you mentioned that you actually also work uh, in a refugee camp uh, you teach uh, art to kids is there some link in in the in the interest of migration, emigration?
1: Um. Yeah, I believe so, to some extent for sure. I started working in the refugee center after I made this project. I'm um, not sure if it's a continuation of it or I, I, I just care for this subject. and uh, And I would have made a project about the other flux of migration that happens in Europe and it touches me greatly, but... I made it about this one because I know it and I could feel it, but I would really like in the future to make something um, about um, the area in the Southwest Asia and what makes it what makes the people there come here and how how they feel here and how do we relate
0: to them yeah I think it's uh it's I say
1: them and I already don't like how I say them. <laughs>
0: Yeah. yeah, but that's just to distinguish, Indeed. I guess, the displacement of people or like
1: your location. Indeed, your geographical location. In, in relation to others,
0: yeah. Um, no, I wanted to say that, yeah, knowing from Poland, the discussion about, uh, let's say, the refugee crisis, the so-called refugee mm-hmm. crisis or the migration wave is so abstract uh, for people there because... Yeah, it's very, very different to, let's say, us living in the West mm. and being confronted in a different way. And then in Poland, there's no uh, refugees, uh, despite what the public is saying. There's no refugees from, like, um, yeah, the places where there's uh, war. There's, like, uh, refugees, only the only refugees which are coming to Poland are those from Ukraine. Uh so, yeah, I think the idea of this kind of global migration for, for Polish people is a bit difficult to grasp. Mm. But yet I think if you would present your movie, you know, a bit closer context, mm. that's maybe easier to understand. Mm. And I think through this kind of work you can maybe grasp the whole mm. global movement of people differently. And I think that's why it's so valuable to... You know, to to kind of see how everything connects, but then yeah, you speak about something you know yeah. and is close to you, but then it stands for a bigger, uh, yeah. bigger global thing, and I think that's super nice to, yeah, to kind of see it in a bigger picture. Yeah, I,
1: I I do believe that speaking about migration is really important because there are so many versions of discussions around it, and it interests me because. I can I can also I couldn't ever wrap my head around how my own family a migrant family talked about the so-called migration crisis in Europe. Um so although my parents emigrated from from Moldova to Italian to Italy and they're Moldovan migrants in Italy, my dad at least has a very hostile attitude towards um yeah. I don't want to call Middle Eastern refugees because it's it's a very Eurocentric <laughs> term. So yeah, my tongue is still not completely adjusted to say Southwest Asia. It's Southwest Asia, goddammit. But yes, he has a very hostile attitude to them. And um, yeah, his whole narrative is, is very disturbing. And I am very curious how that happens in the mind of a migrant <laughs> and Um, And it's in his attitude of of being displaced and estranged to a place. And um, I wonder if it's protection of that place to keep it his or he feels superior because he has a different background from which he came to this country. Or if it's a lack of understanding or I'm just I'm just really curious. And I think these are things that are worth being explored to avoid catastrophes and <laughs> violence. Mm, definitely.
0: And then in the credits of your um, work, um, you dedicated to your parents who provided for all your artistic bogus. <laughs> can you explain what <laughs> what is meant by that? Uh, yeah, can I? I? I think I very much...
1: Um, I don't hate it, but I dislike making or keeping to a very known structure of making things. So when having to write credits and this very informational and administrative part of making a movie, I could just cringe all over the place. So I I wanted to to change it a bit and to uh, distance it from the normal. Uh, so this is where the sentence comes from a bit, but of course it comes from the fact that my parents did support me through my art school, uh, through the period before that. Now that I graduated in a, in a pandemic, they still help me financially and they help me by earning. Um, my mom works as a caregiver still sometimes, not currently, but during my studies she did. And... Um, Yes, so my my financial status comes from uh, from migrants earning money in a different country. So I th- I think it's just um, acknowledging that, um, living with that, accepting that. When I was a kid, I would, at back at home, it was quite shameful to be the kid of a migrant, as if as if to present the shame or to. Or being ashamed that your parents could make couldn't make it at home, um, and I didn't feel that quite strongly. But now making this project, it did somehow came back, did come back to me. Yeah, that I felt for a while. I think more kids feel that, um, and that's yet the reality of it. And as I said before, indeed making this project was a bit of a um, what do you call it? Uh, not a treatment, but a trauma therapy, <laughs> because I explored everything we went through a bit as a as a migrant family and as a as a family of migrants. Um, and it made me very emotional at times, and I had long discussions with my parents. And it was quite beneficial and interesting to do that, <laughs> so to speak. That we didn't have any psychological help we did that through this project <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's amazing that's what art is about no about like talking about it and creating some kind of um yeah value uh, where can people see this work it's not
1: available yet but i can send a link with a password to anyone interested um currently i'm trying to send it to a couple of festivals um Due to the pandemics, not many are running, so um, people could see it in two festivals this year, um, in an exhibition in the UMCG center. So it's the medical center in Groningen. Um, that's that's it for now, but I will pub- I will make it public soon for everyone.
0: Nice, very cool. And um, yeah, last question. It's always the same one for all uh, the people I meet. Uh, What is your favorite uh, food from home? (laughs) Not sure if that's food per se,
1: but I very much miss the taste of just vegetables and fruits at home. Moldova is quite in the south region of Europe, so there's plenty of sun um, and maybe the... The composition of soil. I don't know what makes it so specific, but the cabbage and the fruits, the apples, the the pears, the grapes just taste differently. They they explode with taste, and I really miss that.
0: It's nice. Well, yeah, here the food is a bit uh, plasticky. Yeah,
1: yeah. We may wonder why is that? I don't know.
0: Well, the sun, I think. <laughs> yeah, indeed. <yeah. laughs> it's simple. <That's> Everything <laughs> grows. Uh, under a glass here, an artificial light. Well, uh, yeah, I hope to... What's your favorite food? From home. Yeah, I always say pierogi. Do I you get also that. have something like this? We have
1: a version of that. Just any, any doughy... Stuff filled with something with,
0: inside, right? With
1: things. Oh, I I loved. I I miss stuffed stuff as well.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's nice. Yeah, I think I'm gonna do some uh, for uh, for Christmas now. We usually eat it uh, for Christmas, and probably I'm not gonna go home, uh, but I will make some with cheese then. Or uh, yeah, so the the favorite ones I eat is like with uh, white cheese and uh, potatoes and onion. So it's like a sa- savory and uh, it's vegetarian, not vegan. So, but it's, yeah, it's vegetarian. So for me it's good and uh, yeah, <laughs> simple, Amazing. but so good. But it's a lot of work. So I, I when I make it, yeah. it's like special. <laughs> it has to count. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Thank you so much for the talk. Thank you, Patricia. It was very uh, smooth how, uh, how the talk went. I'm very happy, very uh, interesting Uh, What we talked about, and um, yeah, uh, looking forward uh, to your new projects. I really enjoyed it too, Patricia.
1: There's so many good questions, so many more possibilities of exploring things with you, and I would, yeah, looking forward to know you better. (laughs) Thanks for your
0: time. Thank you. You were listening. To kitchen Conversations. Please see the show notes for all the references made during our conversation. Hope you had a good time listening. Until next time.